Welcome to the podcast for Healing Neurology, where we talk about everything that can help heal your neurology, which is really everything from food, lifestyle, and medicine to nature, culture, and politics. There's no topic too big or too small. I'm Jillian Ehrlich, family nurse practitioner certified in Ayurveda and functional medicine and previous outdoor leadership instructor. So this is part of why I am so excited to have Dr. Suzanne Bartlett Hackenmiller with us today. Um, she is Iowa's first fellowship trained and board certified medical doctor in integrative medicine. She completed Dr. Andrew Wiles Integrative Medicine Fellowship at the University of Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine in 2013 and was board certified by the American Board of Integrative Medicine in 2015. And in 2017, she completed a 500-hour course to become certified in herbal medicine with Dr. Tiarona Lodog, who is a force of nature. Dr. Bartlett Hackenmiller's passion for integrative medicine and nature therapy arose from her personal journey through raising a child on the autism spectrum, her late husband's death from cancer, the inadequacies of conventional medicine, and her personal discovery of solace in both outdoor adventure and mindfulness in nature. She and her current husband, Joe, lead workshops combining mountain biking, hiking, kayaking, integrative wellness topics, and the practice of Shinrin-yoku, Japanese forest bathing, which we will talk about, for women's empowerment, individuals with special needs, cancer survivors, and others. She's also the author of an award-winning children's book called A Friend Like John, Understanding Autism, and her book for adults and families, The Outdoor Adventurer's Guide to Forest Bathing, was published in July of 2019. She speaks nationally and internationally to groups on the subjects of autism, cancer, integrative medicine, and nature therapy, and she is a certified forest therapy guide, is the medical director for the International Association of Nature and Forest Therapy, which just blew my mind that it's a thing, and serves as the medical director of all trails. She sees patients in person and via telehealth through her clinic in Webster City, Iowa, and you can find out more about her at integrativeinitiative.com. Dr. Bartlett Hackamiller, Welcome. Thank you. This is really going to be fun. We're going to talk forever, I think. I know. Yes. <laughs> There's literally no end. So, you know, part of the problem of having two hikers or two kayakers or two bikers on a conversation is that we're used to conversations that last six, eight hours or conversations that go on for days. So we're going to try and pack into this next hour <laughs> some juicy tidbits for folks at home. That's awesome. You know, we should have done this from the woods. I've actually done that before, but we could have both been hiking and talking. Oh yeah. God, that'd be amazing. <laughs> and then you get the sounds. I mean, then you get the right. sounds, right? So already yes. we're talking about our senses. Exactly. And I am sitting outside on my deck because I have to be outdoors. So, you know, you might hear some sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Good. So you're an OBGYN. You are a medical doctor. You went to medical school. OBGYNs don't, you know, you're working on vulvas and vaginas and pelvises. So you're not usually outside <laughs> doing this. This is not like a trails activity. No, but it's funny you mentioned that because for my entire career, as long as I can remember, I cannot tell you how many times I would look out the window in my exam room and say to my patient, there for their yearly gynecologic exam, we should look, it's beautiful outside. We should take this outside. And people all of my patients, of course, universally would look at me like I was insane. And I would say, oh, well, we could maybe have a tent. I mean, if you have a problem with being outside. But, yeah, I mean, I've, this has been something I have struggled with my entire career. Yeah. <laughs> so how have you kind of pulled these together? What, how did you come to this yeah, outdoor piece? I know. It's a really long story. And for the purposes of this chat, I don't know that I can get into all of it. Um, yeah. But really, one of my first experiences was with a patient where we were in my exam room and she was an adult with autism and she just couldn't do it. 
Um, she was really agitated and I suggested that we take it outside. And so my patient, her caregiver from the group home that she lived in and her parents and I walked outside and just walked around the hospital on a paved sidewalk for the entire visit. And it was one of the most productive visits I've ever had. And I was like, see, I've been saying this all this time and there is something to this. So she was able to um, relaxed. She was nonverbal and yet she was still able to communicate with me as soon as we were outside and out of the exam room. And it was, it was really profound. That was back in about 2010 or 11. So that's been a while and it's just kind of evolved from there. And as you mentioned, you know, I went through integrative medicine training and that opened my whole world to this notion that healing is not all about just pharmaceutical drugs and surgery, which previously had been really the only tools I had in my toolbox. And also you mentioned, you know, my personal experience with family members and this sense that Mm -hmm. I had this sense that there is more to healing my family members and my patients and also what is causing these conditions and are there environmental issues at play? And so all of these things transpired and um, I learned about plants as medicine and Mm. delved into herbal medicine, as you mentioned, and then discovered just in my own dealing with my husband's death back in 2012, just that I had to be outside. I just... I I had to be outside. And initially my response to the grieving process was to run, you know, and to bike and to whatever it was all about the adrenaline, you know, and just had to be outdoors, had to be in nature and had to be doing something like that. And I had practiced yoga and meditation and various other mind body techniques for a number of years also. But then during that period of around 2012, was really all about the, you know, the racing and doing adventure triathlons and things like that, really being on the go. And then at some point kind of had one of those, like, you can't keep this up. We all know this, you know, you can't, you're going to burn out. You need to balance. And, um, it was in 2014 where I read an article about forest bathing and I thought, wow, what, what what is that? (laughs) Uh And that's what I need. That's what I'm doing. And how do I have more of that? And just started then experimenting with that with some of my patients and some workshops I was doing through mm-hmm. a local Franciscan retreat center. And so mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'll just experiment with these guys a little bit, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know, because that's what we do. And uh, I was doing a workshop series on different kinds of healing modalities. And so I had participants that came back each week to this, these sessions. And one of them was on whole medical system. So we uh-huh. had some Chinese, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, and mm. um, Native American healing practices. And we did a sweat lodge as part of that mm-hmm. session and all this amazing stuff. We did one week that was community and healing, one week that was spirituality and healing, and mm. one week that was nature and healing. And so I did a little experimentation with forest bathing with these people during the nature week. And they came back the following week and they all were telling me stories about how they had gone out in the intervening week and, and forest bathed with their family and friends or by themselves. And I thought, Oh my gosh, there was something to this. So I delved in further and became certified and I don't know the rest is history, but I'll stop talking because I just (laughs) gave you a flood of everything that has happened in the last 10 years. So you can uh, take off wherever you would like at this point. (laughs) 
it's always amazing to see people's transformations because what we can see, even with you, I mean, in all of us, you know, individually and listening and guests and, you know, me, we all, life is here to be learned. Life is here to kind of grow and to change and to fine tune where we belong, how well we can think. Ayurveda talks about how we are supposed to be building our intelligence for our entire life. So whereas I think in the Western world, we kind of think that you're a child and then you're a school age person and then you learn your trade and then you work your trade and then you have your kids and then you die like that kind of 2.5 children, 1.5 pets, you know, really the goal is that we continue to help the universe evolve. And we do that by continuing to broaden our awareness and sharpen our prowess to evaluate our world. And so what we see is that in your story is that going through medical school and being an OBGYN these last 20 years was one way to kind of explore health and wellness and people and humanity. But, and then with your husband's cancer diagnosis and with his death, you needed that adrenaline. So you really needed that somatic experience of discharge. Mm. But then you found that there was another thing that replaced that, which was really that nature component, which doesn't necessarily include adrenaline. I think people sometimes think about being outside as you're a climber or you're a skier or you're a mountaineer, but just being outside, even on the grass, and laying your whole body on the earth can be medicine. I totally could not agree more. Yeah. And that's beautiful. That's a really interesting assessment from the Ayurvedic perspective. So I love hearing that. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about when we think about, you know, that we could break it down into those two legs of like what we do with our body, the Mm -hmm. adrenaline piece and the outside piece, but there's also that piece of just being outside. And can you tell us a little bit about what that is, about what that medicine is? What is Shinrin Yoku? What is forest bathing? Well, so the practice of forest bathing started, and and that's this concept, Shinrin Yoku, which is a Japanese term, uh, was coined in the early 80s in Japan, where a couple of doctors, doctors Lee and Miyazaki, were recognizing that their patients were extremely stressed out. Mental health problems were off the charts and suicide incidence was very high. Mm. And so they wondered if it is part of the chaos of the city, of city life and devices and technology and noise and lights and, and our pressured lives that was contributing to this mental health trouble. And again, this is back in the early 80s. So I think we can only resonate with that even more now that we have that much more technology at our disposal than we did in the early 80s. But so these doctors wondered what would happen if they took their patients out of the city into nature. And so they took them an hour outside of Tokyo to this beautiful forest and started teaching them how to take nature in through the senses in a mindful kind of way, in a quiet calm, not adrenaline rushing, Mm -hmm. uh, but silent, meditative, mindful way. And um, as doctors, they wanted to quantify what was happening. And so they did questionnaires of their participants, of their mental health before and after these excursions. And then they started doing other tests of things. So they would look at their blood pressure and their pulse and something called heart rate variability, which I'm mm-hmm. sure you're very well aware of, um, which is a marker of how stressed we are based on patterns in our heart. Uh, heart rate. Uh, So they started looking at these kinds of things and found that they improved after time spent in this kind of forest bathing, this sensory experience. And they 
then started doing even more elaborate tests looking at saliva and our cortisol levels and alpha amylase levels in the saliva, which are indicators of stress level. And they found that these markers improved after time spent forest bathing. Mm -hmm. So uh, they've done a ton of research now that is available looking at all of these things. And they even have found that things such as natural killer cells or NK cells, which are part of our immune system, which is really pertinent right now during this age of COVID, that we have these obviously immune system mediators. Natural killer cells are just one of the parts of our immune system, but these natural killer cells sweep through the body and find things that are either abnormal cells, such as tumor cells starting to develop, or they find things like viruses and bacteria and literally gobble up these abnormal cells and these viruses and other particles that don't belong there. So these doctors have found that natural killer cells rise after spending time in nature in this quiet, contemplative way. They found that these natural killer cells rise in both number and in level of activity after spending time forest bathing. Initially, they found that this increase occurred and lasted for a day after their experience. But then they continued to follow those NK cell levels and amount of activity over time and found that they remained elevated seven days out and even 30 days out. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Wow. So that is some just exciting research. And in their studies, they were looking at excursions that took place over three days and two nights. So granted, that's a little longer than maybe your weekly outdoor nature experience, but that's really profound. What if we could do that at least maybe once or twice a year where we get out in nature for a two or three day camping or whatever kind of excursion? but then perhaps have smaller doses at more regular intervals. And that's something that doctors in this field, mm-hmm. myself included, are, are trying to figure out is what is the dose that we need to be healthy of time spent in nature? Yeah, absolutely. So if we're experiencing a stress, then that is something to do. And if we're headed into an experience where we expect stress or we expect COVID exposure or we anticipate things will be hard, then being out in nature for you know, once a week on a weekend or some period of time or having a smaller daily dose is something that we could work in as part of our medical program. And it's not something, and you're exactly right, that it's not a pharmaceutical. It's not a pill we have to swallow that has its own issues. It's not something we have to necessarily pay for in terms of being outside, although certainly there's costs to gear and, you know, getting into national parks. True. But in terms of finding a public park or being outside or finding a space, and some spaces aren't safe. We know that too. But those are ways that we can prepare ourselves and our immune system for tackling life. Exactly. You know, and it's interesting you mentioned that because during COVID, I've been doing some personal kind of reflection and experimentation with nearby nature. Mm -hmm. And that's something that one of my colleagues, Dr. Kathy Wolf, who um, is at the University of Washington, has done some studies regarding is this is this concept of nearby nature. So do we have to go to a national park or even a state or local park to derive benefits of nature? What if we just experience nature in our own backyard or in a potted plant on a balcony or mm-hmm. even out the window gazing mm-hmm. at nature or a plant inside? Mm-hmm. I mean, 
Mm-hmm. I, I've spent some time during COVID practicing what we refer to in forest bathing as sit spot, where mm-hmm. you take 20 minutes with no agenda, nothing to do other than just notice what you notice in nature. Mm-hmm. I've done that with a potted plant for 20 minutes indoors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. 20 minutes by the clock just to see what happens and uh-huh. see if I could glean anything from that experience and, and see how I felt before and after. And mm-hmm. It's kind of remarkable, actually, that there's a lot going on in a potted plant (laughs) to find out. (laughs) So it's a whole little ecosystem. I found some tiny, tiny little bugs that I had no idea were there. I mean, seriously, Uh this seems kind of woo-woo and crazy. But when we're stuck inside, as many of us have been, and with winter coming, Mm -hmm. starting to think about this a lot more, what are we going to do? We need nature. We need nature. We need nature. (laughs) And I absolutely agree. I've never been a houseplant person. My houseplants that I've kept have to be hardy because they have to, I mimic yeah. the external world where sometimes there's drought. <laughs> so right. There's no I know. Way. Sometimes there's drought in my house too. Although my daughter who's a teenager is a miraculous green thumb and has oh. so many house plants in her bedroom. It's remarkable. But anyway, Amazing. I digress. Apparently house plants and succulents are a very big thing now with teenagers. So who knew? Wow. It's, I didn't know that. It's a great thing. It's yeah. very timely. So and caring for houseplants is, that's been my latest like interest is how do you care for houseplants? And it's really yeah. going back to pay ongoing attention, which is really what right. we should be doing with ourselves and so our, true. I'm in nature. And so the idea that I look at my houseplants throughout the week and say, do you need anything? Can I help right. you? That listening is such a good yes, practice. Yes, I totally agree. And there was a time in my life where I was way too busy for anything like that. Oh, there yeah. was just no, you know, or too mentally cluttered or too, you know, just didn't get the bigger picture. And so, yeah, I'm working to return to that kind of simpler, quieter place where houseplants definitely belong. And one of the other things that is interesting about this is to talk about the social justice aspects of nature, which you talk about in your book, which I love because traditionally the outdoors and being a mountaineer or a climber or a skier or a hiker has been mostly places for white people. And Mm -hmm. so expanding the reach, expanding the invitation to our neighbors and friends and people of color and all different abilities. So you talk in your book, even about wheelchairs, there are people who have traditionally not accessed nature and wilderness who deserve it just as much. And can you talk a little bit about organizations or ways like who deserves Thank you. I'm really glad you mentioned that. It's not a topic that often comes up when I'm talking about my book on things like this because uh, people want to know what is forest bathing and how do you do it. And obviously that's a large part of the book, but I really didn't want it to just be that. In fact, when I was talking with the editor in preparation for writing the book, we talked about, you know, what would a book that I would write about forest bathing, how would it be different from forest bathing books that have already been written? Because I felt strongly like I was not the person to write the forest bathing book. There are (laughs) books written by Drs. Lee and Miyazaki and others. But what I think I was able to bring was, yes, the how to balance it with outdoor adventure, how to incorporate a little bit of herbal medicine, how Mm -hmm. to talk about the science as far as how it affects us medicinally. And then I really felt strongly that 
I did include how it is there for everyone, which mm-hmm. for me personally is a work in progress. I've been working with the organization Shift. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a board member for that organization. By the way, there our um, conference is coming up October 14th through 16th, and it's going to be virtually. And if people are interested mm-hmm. in this cause, it's an outstanding place for that. And uh, we've really, really worked to tackle this idea of diversity and equity and inclusion and justice. But where I met a number of the program directors for some of the programs I talked about in the book was at shift conferences over the last few years. And it's been such an honor and a privilege to meet some of these people who, through their own experiences, have been able to bring nature to people in in different places in their lives or people who otherwise don't have access to nature who Mm -hmm. live in cities or are financially unable to Mm-hmm. get to nature or physically or mentally or whatever it hasn't been a mm-hmm. safe place for them. So I think that is so critically important. I also think it's critically important and I talked about some of the organizations that are working to to save the ecosystems. Mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. to have a chapter on cross country skiing and how to uh, apply forest bathing ideas to a snow based activity yeah. would be incomplete if we didn't talk about the fact that climate change is real and Mm -hmm. we will soon not have snow and places that rely upon snow are struggling to continue to have snow. So what are we going to do about this? Um, It's not appropriate to talk about mountain biking. I mean, my husband and I mountain bike all over the country and we've been to Mm -hmm. some places that would be amazing to mountain bike in, but people have mountain bikers, Mm -hmm. which we are, Mm -hmm. have ruined the area with their lack of care and we can't be those people Mm -hmm. in whatever way we use nature we have to all be stewards for it Mm -hmm. and that includes people who are hunters and fisher fisher people anglers you know people who use nature in ways that maybe differ from my preferred way we all have to care for it and be stewards for it and do whatever we can to save nature yeah. And, and to be in relationship where as it takes care of us, we take care of it as Most definitely as part of our humbling way of remembering that we are animals on the planet, just like all other animals. And so that goes back to that age old leave no trace yes. um, perspective where when we leave a place, there's no sign or there's minimal mm-hmm. sign that we have been there. Absolutely. And yeah. reciprocity. If we take something, yes. what are we going to give back? Yes. And I think of that every time I would gather uh, a plant to use in a tea ceremony or for whatever mm-hmm. purposes. Mm-hmm. What can I give back to it as I do that, even if it's a little song, which may seem really silly to people. But uh, when you look back at the indigenous people who lived here, that mm-hmm. is how they cared for the earth. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important to recognize our ancestors who lived here before um, and to learn from them that mm-hmm. this is not about taking, it's not about using nature for its resources. It's about having a reciprocal relationship with nature. And mm-hmm. as long as we take care of it, and as long as we work to heal the earth, it will be there to heal us as well. Yeah. And I think about my earlier times in the wilderness, even as an Outward Bound instructor, where I can see there were ways. I think I was always 
light on the earth in terms of when I was outside, I was comfortable. I didn't leave trash, mm-hmm. things like that. I don't, I don't skip switchbacks. You know, I take the whole mm, switchback. Right. So there's not the Absolutely. erosion that happens if you skip it. Yeah. We worked on that with our five-year-old this weekend hiking. And when that's he's so like, can't good. we just go right there? And it was yeah, like, oh. look, I see the trail. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's so good. It wasn't until years after I left Outward Bound that I realized um, elements of my kind of sub-occult racism. So just, I know that it's dicey to say that, but just to recognize that there were ways that I had people of color who came from suburban and wealthy mm-hmm. situations as well. Sure. But for people who came from less resource situations, my perspective was we're out here, you know, life is hard, let's make it comfortable, but let's get into it and let's get dirty and let's invite hardship, let's challenge ourselves. And that for many people, their life was a challenge, From and I was working mostly with kids, their lives were a challenge already. So it wasn't that a lot of people necessarily needed more challenge in their life. Their lives were hard, you know, yeah. physically. They weren't right. they weren't sleeping in the same bed every night. They weren't always right. sleeping inside a house. And so the idea that camping would be super fun, that someone thought for them they should send their child or someone thought that this child should be sent onto an Outward Bound course. And it is one of the things that I regret in my life that I did not realize that I had that assumption that we would all feel like being outside and being sleeping cold would be a character building experience. Right. (laughs) So there are so many different ways. Yeah. We we can't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And I grapple too with things like that. And I think one of the things that has come to light, thankfully this year, this really difficult year with all of the racial unrest is that we all get to deal with our own reckoning around that. And we have to, and it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. And the first step is to acknowledge that we've made mistakes. I've certainly made mistakes too with people over the years and I will continue to make mistakes and I will try to be okay with being reminded when I make mistakes and and just keep learning. And I have some trusted people who are people of color who I feel so safe being able to ask the questions that Mm -hmm. are otherwise hard and embarrassing and point out my white privilege that's hard yeah, and very humbling and very scary, yeah. but I have to ask for it right. and I have to accept right. it and I, right. I have to be okay with how hard this is, but I want to, and I think we all need to. And it's something that is very in the forefront of what I'm working through personally right now. And I think probably a lot of us are. It sounds yeah. like you are also. I mean, it's thankfully. And it's a fantastic. And I don't feel like it's fair to have this conversation about being outside without the piece that for people of color, the outside has not been necessarily a welcome place or a welcome community for, you know, the entire history of our country, that that's no. been not necessarily a safe space. And we want all of our people we want everybody to be comfortable. So and so. so we have a personal responsibility if we talk about being outside mm-hmm. to say welcome to all people of color and to people with disabilities and to people with autism and to people with lost limbs and to yeah. make areas accessible and welcoming. So And to shut up and listen to them. Yeah. That's been one of my biggest lessons over the past yeah. few years is to just <laughs> yes. shut up and listen. Yes. Because yeah. we know what other people need. 
mm-hmm. you know, it goes back to that paternalistic way that medicine and healthcare have operated. And you referred to this in the podcast where you were interviewed mm-hmm. about how medicine has been very paternalistic. And then we went to this brilliant notion of patient-centered care. And mm-hmm. that was a big hot concept in the early 2000s. And then now this idea of a relationship-centered care, which I just love. I love yeah. just the notion of it and the fact that it, it's a thing and that we're acknowledging that we don't have all the answers. Yes. We, the illustrious, educated medical people, we don't yes. have all the answers. Yes. And we do our best healing when we don't think we have all the answers and when we listen mm-hmm. and when we Absolutely. learn from our patients. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's really where the big medicine occurs for all of us. And when we acknowledge that we need healing too. And I mentioned when we talked privately that you, I'm going to read it again because you said this. I love it. It's not our <laughs> place to hold people's problems. It's our place to help discharge it. And we don't have to hold it. We have to have space for it. Yeah. And that includes listening, whether it's our patients in our clinic or it's the people mm-hmm. we interact with outdoors in nature. Yes. Absolutely. So let's talk about this process because there is in Shinrin Yoku and in your book with your activities, you talk about kind of a standard sequence. Can you share with us what that is? The standard sequence that I referred to is created through the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy by uh, a man named Amos Clifford. And so it's not the only way to practice forest bathing, but um, it was the way that I was originally taught. Um, And there are other people who are teaching people Mm -hmm. how to be forest therapy guides. So, but um, the idea based in that standard sequence is the idea that we try to take people into nature during forest bathing in kind of a a replicable systematic way. So we're not just hopping you out of your cars, popping you into the middle of the woods and being like, okay, close your eyes and meditate or something like that, which would be Mm -hmm. completely ridiculous. So we're trying to take people from where they are which Mm -hmm. as we were just discussing is from all kinds of different places, acknowledging that everybody's going to have different experiences and different comfort levels and different edges. One thing we talk about a lot is finding that edge and that we hope every person while they're in a guided forest therapy walk will experience the place where they meet that edge of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. You know, I tell people all the time, I love that quote, do something each day that scares you. And for everybody that's different, for some people that might mean closing their eyes while standing out in nature, because as we were just discussing, some people do not at all feel safe there. So Closing your eyes might be an edge. Some of the other things we might do might be an edge. But anyway, um, the standard sequence starts from where people are and then tries to slowly, in a systematic way, guide them into a calmer, almost more meditative or dreamlike state out of that monkey mind um, busy state and into the place where, you know, the place of the subconscious, the liminal state where the good stuff happens. I like that, where the good stuff happens, yes. <laughs> where we find union, where we have yoga. Right, right? where so we have, yes, where we have union. Absolutely, where we have union with the more than human world, where we connect with the trees and the air and the dirt and the insects and the birds and the animals, where we're all kind of on that same wavelength and we recognize that we are a part of it. We're not other. And it's when people get to this place that I do think the real medicine occurs and 
you know, I've taken people, as you mentioned, my husband and I really enjoy doing kind of a combination of adventure and forest bathing. So we've done workshops where we've done mountain biking and forest bathing and kayaking and forest bathing and hiking. And and so we get our kind of adrenaline rush or our adventure thing out of our system. And then we continue. So we've done forest bathing in kayaks, or we've done it while slowly riding on a simple dirt single track trail. And it's unbelievable what happens to people when they do this. And afterwards, I've had mountain bike shredders Mm -hmm. say, I'll never view these trails the same way, or I've never stopped to look up or, you know, they'll just be in tears, just, just literally in tears because essentially their worldview, really their relationship with nature, their connection has been probably permanently altered as a result of two or three hours forest bathing on a guided walk or ride or kayak or hike or ski or Or hike or whatever sled (laughs) or lay on the grass. Yes, exactly. I incorporate forest bathing into just about everything I do. You know, I'm one of those people who I, as I'm, I'm not really a runner. I don't love to run, but I do Uh it because, you know, I need it, but I'm always trying to trick myself. and bribe myself through it and things like that. And so Mm -hmm. I play games constantly. Uh Uh, And I discovered that I was kind of forest bathing long before I knew that it, well, and I think a lot of people do, people who are outdoor people discover that they've forest bathed um, their whole lives. But I'll trick myself by looking for a certain color while I'm running or I'll kind of, um, and some of these are like invitations I think I talked about in the book. Um, One was like hopscotching on fallen leaves where I'll like make myself like try to step Uh on red leaves or things, you know? So I'm Uh sure when people see me, they think I'm completely nuts. (laughs) You know, if you're deep enough in nature, usually there are not a lot of other people around. That's the beauty of it. And then you can be just as weird as you want to be. Well, and it's, it's just getting back to that child's play. It's, there's something really, really good for us when we quit trying to be responsible adults and allow ourselves to just play outside. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and there's ways that we get to use our bodies and use our minds that yes. challenge how we usually do it. And then we can have that awareness right. again. And you talk oh. about that research with kindergartners. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that study? Yeah. Um, it's a study that found that um, when children participate in an outdoor kindergarten as opposed to an indoor, you know, typical kindergarten that the kids in the outdoor kindergartens invented new games like 58% of the time, as opposed to those who are in an indoor kindergarten and invented new games like 16% of the time where, you know, everything is structured and, you know, the toys are sitting there available and all of that. And when you're outside, just, you know, you see, you said you have, you know, your five-year-old, you you go outside with your five-year-old, they open up your whole world because suddenly they don't have their toys. They have a stick that they're playing with or they make a little boat and they float it and out of, I don't know, whatever, little (laughs) leaves Uh and things. And it's just amazing to watch. And if we could just kind of take ourselves back to that, which is exactly what I do, you know, we'll make something and float a wish down downstream yes. or something. Yes. It's it's just child's play. And it it's is so good for us. 
It is so good for us. And it's really good from the Ayurvedic perspective for a pitta mind. So even 5,000 years ago in India for the pitta mind, which is the mind that tends to judge, vata tends to just experience and be in motion. Mm. It's the principle of movement. Kapha tends to be very stable and just kind of sit back and enjoy and just watch and be. But the pitta mind is the, pitta is the principle of transformation and change and digestion. So you're digesting food. Often pitta people will have heartburn or loose stool because their digestive, that energy is up, but also experiential digestion. So we are constantly, I say we, because we talked a little bit before the show that you and I are both fairly pitta people. Um, Fairly pitta. So... So we both like research and we both, there's an intensity because our natural predilection is to judge. So to judge, to assess good, bad, yes, no, pretty, not pretty, okay, not okay, better, worse, you know, we're just digesting the experience. And when you are in nature, 5,000 years ago in Ayurveda, they talked about the benefits of nature for Pitta because there is literally so much happening. There are so many leaves on each tree. There are so many, you know, clots of dirt on the earth. There are so many stones, there are so many pieces of grass that the pitta mind gets blown and, and mm. essentially short circuits. And finally, pitta is released. Finally, oh, the judgment can relax because there are yeah. so many clouds, there are so many things to look at that the pitta mind, and it's all cooling and there's no mm. judgment coming from the planet. You know, the earth doesn't give a shit if you live or die. The ocean doesn't care if you live or die. Yeah. The tree that you're about to ride your bike into doesn't care. It's not there to hurt <laughs> you. It's not there to help you. It's just there to be. And so suddenly you're surrounded by beans oh. and by light that are not judging, that are just being. And so finally, mm-hmm. the pitta mind can relax. And so I love time, this perspective. <laughs> from time immemorial, pitta has been told to go outside as a therapy. <laughs> That's so fantastic. So see from your Ayurvedic prescription, go outside. I <laughs> go love outside. that so much. And, you know, there's something there for everybody. I, I would love to hear your, uh, you know, your prescription for the vata and the kapha people outdoors. So vata outdoors is relaxing. Mm-hmm. You know, vata people, you treat vata like a tender flower. And so vata needs to move. So finding rhythm is important for vata. Yeah but not working so hard. Um, and kapha needs to work hard. So kapha needs to be cold. Kapha needs yeah. to be hot. Kapha needs to be like here in the Pacific Northwest when you're traveling, when you're kayaking with the tides and the currents, you know, kapha needs to be woken up at midnight. I mean, and all of these things can be done by any of the doshas, by any constitution. Yeah. But when you're outside for your constitution, maybe that's the next book we should write. Yes. Oh outdoors my gosh, for your constitution. <laughs> and so the kapha person needs to work. So we, I joke with people yeah. who have a lot of kapha that they need to roll out of bed at 5 a.m. and do push-ups. And this is like yeah. the Arnold, Schwar- Arnold Schwarzenegger's. This is the, um, who else is a cuffa person? I'm trying to think of, you know, those people who are stout, strong, can right. kind of go forever. And they need to roll out of bed at 5 a.m. and directly drop to the floor and start doing push-ups. And most cuffa people will say, oh, I hate that idea, but I do feel mm-hmm. better when I do that. Yeah. That's so interesting. And the Pitta people are constantly churning the ideas. <laughs> see, see, and Pitta plus Vata, you have Pitta and Vata. So your mind is constantly in motion, your body does better in motion, and it's better outside. Because then if you can short circuit, even in Ayurvedic treatments like Panchakarma, the big detox procedure, Pitta does so well with Ayurvedic massage, oil massage by two people. Because the pitta person with one massage therapist often is just constantly judging that person. Oh, push a little harder here. No, not right. there. <laughs> oh, if you could just go one half inch to the side, you'd hit it, but you didn't. Oh my gosh. And that's so, so interesting. Hands, 
with four hands that put the mind gets a little experience one time actually oh yeah unbelievable yeah yeah so all ayurvedic massages tend to have well not all of them but panchakarma is often done with two people because they talk about the four hands then the pit the mind can finally relax but we're talking Um, about our nature as animals and we're talking about the importance of us being essentially in relationship in a polarity with our earth who is our mother who is our exactly panchamama who is where we get all of our sustenance from our light our food all of our experiences in our earthly body made of the structures of the earth and so you know it is really really key that we take care of our planet, that we help it to heal, that we become stewards of both our own bodies and our earthly body. It is, you know, it cannot be overstated. <laughs> I could not agree more. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us about some of the other pieces of our standard sequence. Talk to us about some of the other, um, there's invitations, there's yeah. um, pleasure of presence. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. What's in motion? So you're right. Uh, the pleasures of presence is just so simple. It's just taking a moment where you are to notice your surroundings. And the easiest way to do that is really to start with one of your senses and just notice everything you can through that sense. And I like to start with eyes closed so that sight is the final experience because having your eyes closed then allows opening them to to be this kind of magical experience. But with eyes closed, just noticing the sounds around you, noticing the textures and the tactile sensations, the temperature, the movement of the air, uh, perhaps pick up something, a rock, touch the water, touch the grass, touch a tree, and notice all of the tactile sensations. Smell, you know, notice the smell of the air, the smell of a rock, the smell of a tree. Taste, we often leave to the very end, which is our tea ceremony we'll talk about in a sec probably. But then, yeah, then allowing yourself to open your eyes and, and notice as if you had never even seen anything like it before, just noticing what you notice, whether it's the colors, the contrast, the hues, the textures you see, all of the visual expanse of nature. So really the pleasures of presence can be something like that. We we will often do an invitation called what's in motion where you just notice what's moving and and people often will kind of laugh and think well that's silly nothing's moving or everything's moving or or whatever. You know, we we place judgment on these these ideas, but if you take 10 minutes to notice what's moving around you, that can often be a fairly profound experience. And it might be from a a macro level or more of a micro level where you're really just sitting on the ground and, and noticing, you know, it might be watching ants. As I said, I've done some kind of urban forest bathing through COVID Mm -hmm. and sat on a sidewalk one day and, and just watched ants and a dandelion in a crack of a sidewalk (laughs) for 20 minutes. I know the things I do, but really it's, there is nature everywhere and it isn't just big nature. It's, it is this nearby nature. So you can do it in the forest. You can do it in your, you know, on a sidewalk. And so we, we typically will take people on a guided walk through a number of these invitations where you're invited to try these things. But if it's beyond your comfort zone to the point where it's just not doable and you're not having it, then it's an invitation. You don't have to do anything. And then uh, we typically end each 
guided forest therapy walk with tea ceremony, which is is from the Japanese idea of a tea ceremony. And uh, if possible, and if permissible, and if safe and uncontaminated, and if we do it in a reciprocal manner, it is nice to be able to use a tea plant from the area that we're in to create a, a tea. And I find that people really are kind of shocked by this idea that there are plants in our everyday life that are actually edible Mm -hmm. and even that may have medicinal properties. And from my study of herbal medicine, I really enjoy this. And one of the things that my teacher, Tarone Lodog, who you mentioned in the intro, taught me early on was this idea that we have co-evolved with plants and that there are receptors in the human body that specifically match chemicals found in plants. And of course, we know that many of our early medicines derived from plants, but for some reason, over the past hundred years, we have developed this disconnect where we have forgotten that plants have healing medicine. So I love to be able to share this. I love to be able to include that in my book as some very simple plants that people probably recognize some Mm -hmm. things as simple and common as dandelion and plantain. And uh, although you may not know what plantain looks like, not the banana type of plantain, but the plantain that probably everybody has seen, Google it. This quote, weed has all kinds of medicinal properties. And so when we create a little tea at the end of our uh, forest bathing, people really, really enjoy that, I think. Mm. Obviously, any type of gathering or foraging for plants uh, must be done safely. And a person absolutely has to know what plant they're using because there are also plants that mimic each other that are completely poisonous. So uh, as a caveat, before you go out, and I've had people who are very overzealous go out and decide that they're going to try to make their own tea out of plants and then call me and say, oh, I probably should not have eaten milkweed, which can actually be very toxic, for example. So don't go eating stuff in nature without knowing exactly what what you're doing. But yeah, that's a little bit about the sequence of a typical forest. That's fantastic. The plants that you mentioned in the book were, I was surprised, but they were familiar to me. So plantain, you should look it up and then look for it because wherever you are, you're probably not more than a hundred feet from a plantain plant, right? Right. Now. They Absolutely. are, they, they are really good at growing in cracks and sidewalks. They in, are. In urban areas. And all over. Yep. I guarantee they, everybody here has, who's listening has seen it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And things like um, when you pull off at the at an exit off the highway, there's often all those bright blue flowers. And um, I think about that a lot because I learned at one point that that's chicory, yes, which is what typically is made if you do coffee substitutes or down south. There's oh my gosh, I love it. Chicory tea. And when I pull, you know, I've pulled off of exits all across the country, highway exits, and I see those bright blue flowers and I think, oh yeah. my God, you're like, I could pay for you $8. Yeah. Um, you know, chicory root is amazing. And it contains inulin, which is the most prebiotic substance we know of. Mm -hmm. And prebiotics, okay, now we're going to delve into integrative medicine and out of forest Mm -hmm. therapy, but you know, prebiotics are the food for the probiotics. And one of the most important things we can have in our diet is both probiotic and prebiotic foods. So I talk about prebiotics and probiotics all the time with my patients, but if you've never had chicory root tea and you happen to be a coffee lover, oh my gosh, it is amazing. And it doesn't have any caffeine and you're getting all of those prebiotic properties. So what a treat. Excellent. So let's talk a little bit about some of the resources from the book and some of the associations, the forest therapy resource and your new webinar. Let's dive into that. Awesome. Yeah. Let's see. Where do you want to start? 
Let's do Forest Therapy Association. So there is Forest Bathing International. There's the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy. They have interactive maps where a person could find a guide near them all over the world. There are hundreds now of guides all over the world who are certified through that organization and others. And so I do believe that that experiencing forest therapy through a trained guide is is fairly similar to, you know, just deciding you're going to embark on a yoga practice. You wouldn't do that without some sort Mm -hmm. of a teacher or a guide. And I think it is helpful for getting the maximum experience. Obviously any nature interaction is healthy and Mm -hmm. good for us and you don't need to have a guide. But if you really do want to explore this practice further, that I think is a great way to do it. Um, people can certainly connect with me via my website, which is integrativeinitiative.com. As we mentioned before, I'm happy to help people connect with resources for that kind of thing. Um, and you're the are, medical director, is that right? Uh, yes, I have been the medical director of the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy. Excellent. All Trails, um, you mentioned I, I do some work with them. They have an app where people can find trails anywhere. They've done a lot of work through the pandemic with increasing access for people. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that's so important is um, often people who haven't spent a lot of time outside are trying to figure out how they could and where Mm -hmm. and how could they do it safely. And although we talk about disconnecting from technology, sometimes it can actually be helpful for helping us to find it. And then also potentially as a safety mechanism in case you were to get lost or you can, in some of those apps, connect um, your route to a significant other or friend or something so they know where you are. So things like that. Mm -hmm. What other resources were you wondering about? I mentioned a number of organizations in the book uh, that do a a ton of different amazing programs. We mentioned SHIFT um, and that conference that is coming up. There are so many. I talked about Corazon Latino and the Shine organizations and the people who started those programs. Yeah. What else would you like to hear about? (laughs) (laughs) I loved how you talked about in the book, learning the native names for places. So the recognition that we came here and named mountains McKinley or Mount Rainier or Mount Baker, but really it's Comacultion and Tahoma. It is. It is. This um, this colonization that is so, so wrong. There's a movement to try to revert back to the native names and... Um, and I'm trying to do more of that, for example, on, on Instagram and things, um, acknowledging where I am and the people who came here before I did and whether it's acknowledging them. And we try to always do that in a guided forest therapy walk, but there's an app called native lands that I use a lot. Mm -hmm. If I'm in a place where I don't know the names of the people who were first there. And it's so awesome because it drops a pin on your location and it lists all of the the native uh, indigenous people who were there first. So I love that app. I use it a lot. Uh, I think it's really important. And we, I think as a people, we should try to do that more. It's, It's just the right thing to do. It is. It's the right thing to know the original names for the places where we are at. It's also, I think, really important to recognize that people still live here. People of um, those native traditions still are alive. It's not a historical thing. It is a current thing. They name these places. They lived here. They still live here. Those places still have those names. Absolutely. 
All right. So let's talk about your webinar because everybody needs, we talked about where to go and you can use a sidewalk or a houseplant. We've talked Mm -hmm. about how we all are in different process, you know, different levels of transformation to recognizing our animal nature and that we belong. We all belong in all places on earth or most places. There's, you know, some deep caves and high mountains Mm -hmm. that not all of us necessarily need to go. And we talked about how this really needs to be in the medical visit somehow that we need to find a way to bring together medicine and nature. So doing pelvic exams outside in a tent is one option. which I'm personally not proven to be popular. I'm still working on it. Um, And then the other component is bringing this understanding of the power of nature into the exam room, the same way, making it a same foundation of health, the same way that we would talk about diet, exercise, and sleep. We should be having the fourth pillar of nature. Right. Outside time. So, and you've put together um, a webinar recently that talks more about this. Tell tell us about that. That's right. Well, I have been prescribing nature for quite some time. And over the past few years have discovered a small group of other physicians and practitioners who also have been prescribing nature. And so the things that inevitably ensue when you start talking about prescribing nature, first of all, your colleagues want to know what kind of proof you have that there is any scientific validity to something as insane as prescribing nature. Um, And then patients also want to know that there's some proof, but also want to know how how long, where, what to do. And so one of my colleagues, Dr. Robert Zarr, is a pediatrician in Washington, D.C. and the founder of an organization called ParkRx America. And through several years of discussion about these themes, we decided to put together a webinar for medical practitioners and for anybody to watch, frankly, about this idea of nature as a healing modality. So we worked with Dr. Kathy Wolf, who I mentioned earlier, who's a researcher at the University of Washington, Mm -hmm. and Dr. Courtney Schultz, who is one of the researchers who works with ParkRx America and is also a private consultant and professor and a million other hats that she wears. And um, the four of us worked for a year Wow. on this project, um, and I'm, which is probably why we're so excited that we can finally <laughs> say it's done. It took literally a year to produce. And we, we scoured the literature and the, stu- you know, the studies, and we really wanted to create something that was not only for our patients, or I should say for providers to use in order to help their patients, as most continuing medical education programs are, but also something that would be of benefit to the medical providers themselves. And this goes right back to that previous conversation about the reciprocal relationship of, or the relationship style of treating patients that is not paternalistic and it's not only patient-centered, but it's relationship-centered. And so we can't take care of our patients unless we're taking care of ourselves. We always say that. You know, that's one of those things we talk about, like that old adage about putting on your own oxygen mask before taking care, you know, trying to help others. But as caregivers, we all know that we're terrible about it. And even parents (laughs) are terrible about it, right? We take care of our kids. We don't take care of ourselves. We take care of our ailing parents, but we don't take care of ourselves. We're all caregivers in some kind of respect, but we don't always do a good job of caring for ourselves. So we wanted to create this program that encompassed all of that and ways in which nature could be used to be healing 
in that regard. So we created this. Uh, we had a grant from the National Forest Service, and it is uh, the continuing medical education. One hour of AMA credit is sponsored by the American Public Health Association. So it's all accredited and available. It is located on the Park RX America website, or you can find it on my website again, um, which is integrativeinitiative.com. And I put it in my blog so that I could write a little short blurb about those of us who created it and what it's about. Um, and there's a link to it there. So again, the webinar has a ton of studies in it. So it's mm -hmm. chock full mm -hmm. of the science, the best science about nature. But it's also something that I've had people who are not medical professionals report back that they really got a lot out of. They did not find that it was over their head. They did not find that they lost interest. Mm -hmm. they, it really captivated their attention. Our next part of this process that was part of the grant from the Forest Service is to create a similar webinar for land managers about the health effects of nature, but geared more towards land managers and not medical professionals. So that's step two that we're working on now. And so stay tuned, that'll be available eventually too. But again, this is free for anybody to watch. Um, if people want the continuing ed credit, it's $35 for that one hour of credit. Great. Fantastic. Any last thoughts or things you'd like to share with us about Forest always... You know, I'll share a quick story because I think yeah. as we talk about this, you're an OBGYN, so you really have spent 20 years at the crux of the change between the generations. And as well, I think that our kids are really suffering with COVID in terms of relationship and community. And so thinking about what we can do for our kids and are there ways to get outside, I think that's one thing to really take from this. And I just think about when I was a kid, I grew up in the suburbs where everything, I, I mean, God bless my parents and I love them a lot. And this is not a criticism of them, but you know, the area I was in was a very manicured area. And so there was very little wild space. And I remember being about six years old and maybe four or six. And we went to a place, it was called the Holden Arboretum. So, and I remember we walked out into the forest. It was in the fall season. I can picture it like it was yesterday. And I had that moment that we talked about earlier where the, the mind gets short circuited and suddenly you are at peace. And I remember standing in this forest. So Eastern Ohio, Northeastern Ohio woods with the, all the trees around us were, there were tall trees and there wasn't a lot of, it was a mature forest. So there wasn't a ton of brush underneath and the leaves were falling because it was fall and the whole forest floor was leaves because of the autumn season. And I remember standing there thinking, what is this place? Like I could almost cry now thinking about it. And I remember thinking, what is this place? Like, what is this? And I have never been in a place like this, but like literally I'm tearing up thinking about this, like what is this place? And not really knowing forest very well. And we went home that day and because I was so little, Holden Arboretum, I thought it was one word. It was very long. I could never remember it. And I could never ask to go again because I didn't know how to describe what that place was. <sighs> and so just thinking about how well our kids can do outside of screens, malls, organized Structure. events, structures, just throw them into the woods. <laughs> I so totally agree. Figuring I, I out really it may be the thing that we try to do. And, and if you need resources or if you need support, then the, then the organizations that you discuss, both your website, integrativeinitiative.com or the ParksRx America um, there are organizations out there that can offer us support, but for our society to survive COVID, just to stay alive and then also to thrive and flourish, we need our kids that are developing in this time to continue their development, and we need to continue our development. 
So from, you know, oh, in yes. a conversation like, with an OBGYN who stands at the <laughs> junction of, of generations, take your babies outside, take your kids outside. It doesn't take matter if they get wet. Outside. Yeah, Absolutely. Outside. Get dirty. The best yeah. thing we can all do is at any age is get outside and touch some dirt. I mean, I could start quoting studies again now, but cognition improves when we are in contact with dirt. You know, I quote a study oh, a lot of the mood study about mood. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I quote a study a lot when I'm referring to dragging my kids around outside. And it's the study, I think it's in my book somewhere, but um, that memory and attention span improved by 20% after an hour outside in nature. And the best part of that is those benefits occur, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. So I say that all the time yep. with yep. whiny teen, you know, we have, I told you before I have, my husband and I have five teenagers between us, so they don't always love the uh-huh. things that we make them do outside. But I'll often mention that, well, it turns out that, you know, you're getting benefits whether you like it or not. So whether it's raining, whether the weather is miserable, whether you get dirty or whatever, the benefits are occurring. And yes, for sure, mood. There are so many studies now that have found that. And one found that even just five minutes of time spent outside disconnected from our devices has improvements in really all parameters of mental health. And when they replicated that study and increased the duration of time to 15 minutes and found that the additional 10 minutes really did not offer any added Uh benefit to Uh the five minutes. So when people are asking about dose, some is good, more is better. But even if you only have five minutes to get outside, take it. Absolutely. And I remember you quoted a study in your book about there's a probiotic in soil that stabilizes mood. Uh, yeah, Mycobacterium vacay. That so. is a bacteria. Yes, um, it is. Yeah. They found that when they exposed uh, mice and rats, to this bacteria that it allowed them to navigate a maze faster. Um, and, and so they've, they've found that this is important for cognition and memory and learning. And yeah, um, yeah. there are horticultural studies yeah. with Alzheimer's patients just working with the dirt and have found that that helps with their affect and they spend less time doing nothing when mm-hmm. they do horticultural activities versus mm-hmm. an indoor craft. I mean, again, I could start quoting all kinds of studies, but yeah, it's all good. So, it's, and for those so studies, good. we should just go to your webinar. You should go to the webinar. Um, a lot of those are in the webinar. Some of them are in the book. Some they're just all over the place and yeah. they're all stuck in my head. So they <laughs> <laughs> can't get out. They try really hard. That's why they just start exploding out. <laughs> Because again, I, I, it's like, I have this, um, this is my armor, you know, when I'm talking with people who are, who are the naysayers and like, well, show me the research. I literally had a poster at the plane tree conference a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, plane tree is patient centered care. Uh-huh. That was their, uh-huh. their whole thing. And so I had a poster and I will never, I probably will never forget this. This surgeon walks by and he goes, hmm. cause I had like three bullet points of, um, studies. And he's like, well, I'm glad to see you cite some studies there. And then he just walked <laughs> off. Like, it was so hilarious. And I thought, well, thank you for stopping, you know. <laughs> I mean, I would love to share more with you if you would stop long enough. But, I mean, yeah. it, it's comical. And so I feel like I have to be at the ready all the time to just yeah. spout a bunch of research for the people who just think this is hogwash. And isn't that silly? Because we know this. Yeah. We know yes. being outdoors yeah. is good for us. But for some reason, we have this need to somehow prove it. Yep. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. I think we could talk forever. So I'm trying to be 
cognizant of the time. I your know. poor listeners are going to be like, stop already. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just say that if you're listening to this podcast and you're not outside, make a plan. Close your eyes right now if you can, if you're not driving and listening or biking or whatever. <laughs> yes, you know, And make yourself a commitment about the next time you will go outside. And um, maybe you even shut this podcast off right now and just run outside. Rain or shine, snow or heat, whatever it is. Um, go outside, go outside, go outside. Absolutely. So thank you for listening today with Dr. Suzanne Bartlett Hackenmiller. We've got lots of ways to continue this conversation through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can get more information from and about her at her website, integrativeinitiative.com, or about us at our website, centerforhealingneurology.com. Or even better, come see us in person or sign up for a video consult with her. Please be sure to share this show with your friends and we welcome your rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to send topic requests to podcast at centerforhealingneurology.com. And we love that you've joined us today to discuss how to make our whole world medicine. We rise or fall together and we're committed to doing what we can to make as many of us as healthy as possible. And this takes all of us, including you. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Media. Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.